You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. We're going to do a little review since it's been a while since I've been up here. And for those who have always wondered what gift I have, my mother's always said I had the gift of stupidity. It's not on the list. It's a secret gift that only the special elite have, which means there's like four on the planet, and I think they're all related to me. But we'll go back to chapter 12, verse 7 when we get started here this morning, but let's open in prayer. Father, the most incredible gift you ever gave us of all was the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is to Him that we give honor and glory and praise. And those things that you've given to us to to be a part of manifesting the church and the glory of your Son in the world, we take delightedly and honoredly. We ask you, Lord, to give us wisdom as we study this section of Scripture. Help us not to miss anything. Put us in the direct middle of your will as we study your word to hear from you. And we'll thank you for what you're going to accomplish in this body through the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So come prepared if I'm teaching next week. We have a spiritual gifts test in parentheses or in quotations. And it'll be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Pardon me? Which <laughs> The word test. <laughs> um, let's, let's start off this morning by reading verse chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, and uh, we'll get started. Now, Paul says, concerning spiritual gifts, gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. So we, we, I believe we ended off with verse 7 last week. Or when did, we, when did we stop? Actually, we must not have because that's not where I'm at. We, have, we finished with verse 7 on the 23rd of July. It just was a lot. We're not going to go through the whole thing again because that will take the whole morning. But we'll just kind of hit the highlights. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The gifts were given by God in order to manifest the Spirit. They were given to glorify Him. They were given to edify the church. They were given to build the church. They were not given to tear down, to distract, or to ruin in any way. Um, God intended for His work to be evident in the lives of His children. And the one of the ways, one of the many ways that it is evident is when you 
work out your, as you work out your salvation in fear and trembling, you exercise the gift or gifts, the giftedness that God has given you. When we exercise our spiritual gift under the control of the Holy Spirit so that it is manifested biblically, it blesses and benefits the body of Christ every time. And again, Paul stresses that each one, that is each single believer in the world, God doesn't work in collectives. He doesn't work in groups. He works in individuals. There is this group called the church, the called out ones, but he works by virtue of his working through individuals. The world is being, uh, Paul stresses that each one, every single believer has been in the world has been given a special gift to manifest and praise the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was given to them to bless the church and to propagate the gospel in the world. And we talked about the controversy of the continuation or cessation of certain gifts. And we saw that there were, there were certain sign gifts that accompany punctuated revelation of God's word throughout history, throughout the times of history. The first time would have been with Moses and Joshua. There was a 65-year period of incredible manifestation of miracles, and, and then that period ceased. And then later on, it, it occurred again within the, uh, it specifically occurred again with the prophets Elisha and, Eli and Elijah, reverse order Elijah and Elisha. And it lasted about 65 years. And then the third time, and the one that we're most concerned with, at least in this study, is the time of the apostles, lasted about seven, of Jesus Christ and the apostles, lasted about 70 years. Um, and remember this miracles, it says, it, it has been taught. The power to perform these signs and wonders was explicitly to confirm that whoever was performing them, and in our case, the apostles, were speaking the words of God and doing the work of God. Miracles are not found hither thither in the scriptures. Of course, God can work a miracle anytime he wants. He is the sovereign of the universe. But he wants, but the sign gifts such as miracles are given to men to perform clearly happened only on three specific times. One commentator put it this way. He said, Miracles do not appear on the pages of Scripture vagrantly, here, there, and elsewhere, indifferently, without assignable reason. They belong to revelation periods and appear only when God is speaking to his people through accredited messengers, declaring his gracious purposes. Their abundant display in the apostolic church is the mark of the richness of the apostolic age in revelation. And when this revelation period closed, the period of miracle working had passed by also as a mere matter of course. When this revelation period closed, the period of miracle working had passed by also as a mere matter of course, and God, His Holy Spirit, made it His subsequent work not to introduce new and unneeded revelations into the world, but to diffuse this one complete, this one complete revelation through the world and to bring mankind into the saving knowledge of it. And we'll hit this topic again and again and again. The scriptures are sufficient. We'll talk about what type of people seek a sign. Jesus named them, and we'll get to that eventually. So it's evident that the Scripture teaches and anticipates that miracles are not the normative method of God dealing in humanity. They are reserved other than for individual miracles performed by the sovereign of the universe at his choice for particular periods of time throughout history to validate his message and his messengers. Again, does this mean God can't heal somebody instantaneously today? Of course not. He can. And we are commanded to seek that kind of healing. In James, uh, we taught, the, the apostles were, the apostles encouraged people to take, to go to the elders, to have the anointing of oil, to pray when people are sick. Are you sick? Go to the elders and pray. So God encourages the prayer for miracles. But what we must realize is it's not the normative method of God dealing uh, 
in, in the world. And we'll see more and more of that as we go on. Um, so, and we talked about the ending of the gift of apostleship. Concomitant with the ending of some of the sign gifts, one of the sign gifts was a, an office, the office of apostle. Not all of the gifts that appeared that the Holy Spirit gave to the church are offices, but all of the offices are gifts. In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle notes that Christ gave gifts to men, and then he ascended, and it says again that he gave gifts to men. Then down in verse 11, the gifts are listed, and in this particular case, those listed gifts are positions or offices, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So he gave those. Apostles, as we noted, one of the primary check marks that you could place, a book, you, a check mark, check you could place next to your name. Let me spit that out carefully so that you don't understand at all was had seen the resurrected Jesus. Had seen the resurrected Jesus. Did Paul see the resurrected Jesus? He sure did. In a most unusual way, he got knocked off a horse. Imagine being the horse. Wow. Okay. So you had to be a witness of the resurrected Lord in person, Acts chapter 1, verses 21-2. You had to have been appointed personally by the Lord. Was Paul appointed personally by the Lord? Absolutely. Acts chapter 1, verse 2. And you had to be able to work miracles, Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. So it's pretty much accepted church doctrine that there were 12 apostles plus Paul. And, of course, the apostles after the resurrection chose a replacement for Judas to bring the number back to 12. Each one of the, these men met three, the three qualifications just mentioned. And further, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, when he was present in Corinth, he worked in a manner that identified him as an apostle. Not only what, did he see the resurrected Lord, not only did he... Um, was he appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ? It says that he said, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. These were what the miracles of the apostolic age were purposed for. They were purposed for establishing that these men were appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ to bring the church into fruition and to, to preach the word of God to be recorded, have their sayings recorded, which is what we have in the New Testament. And so um, we talked about that gift, the gift of apostleship. Um, it's also accepted teaching that after the death of John, there were no more apostles other than an aberrant sex and cults who still think that the gift of apostleship is continued. There's no definitive scripture that stipulates that the gift of apostleship has ceased. There is simply the fact that the 12 plus Paul were known to have performed the signs of apostleship and they alone fulfilled the qualifications. Numerous times we see other notables such as Barnabas, Epaphroditus, Andronicus, and Junicus, and James, the Lord's brother, in this, uh, and Junicus, excuse me, in the sense that Barnabas and those folks performed apostle signs and wonders. They did it under the authority of the apostles, at the direction of the apostles, and when the apostles were with them. Um, these men were sent out specifically and purposefully to propagate the church. Each of the twelve and Paul were taught directly by the Lord Jesus Christ, commissioned by him and sent out by him. This is a specific office that has indeed ceased. It was a gift, as mentioned earlier, and it is one of the gifts that has ceased. Noting this, that the gift of apostleship ceased, and it being the one most associated with miracles, we see that the ending of certain gifts is not unusual. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul explains this in succinct manner, that salvation and the forming of the church. He reminds that it is, a, it is by grace that all have been saved, and that even the faith that is exercised by grace to achieve salvation is a gift. We are his workmanship, 
and we, are, we were formerly dead on our trespasses and separate from Christ. We had no hope, but having been far off formerly, we are now brought near by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we also looked at the, the concept of the New Testament prophet, and his words were given the same weight and importance as the Old Testament prophets. They were included in the text of the New Testament, and they were included in the same way as the Old Testament prophets were included. In Acts chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, as we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says, which is equivalent to the Old Testament, thus saith the Lord. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Agabus spoke authoritatively, and it was thus recorded as the same as it was for Moses. This has ceased. True prophets do not say, I think this is what the Lord is saying. This is most likely what God intends. They don't say that. <laughs> Remember that one of the tests of a prophet was that if what he said did not come to pass, he was a false prophet. Now, the Old Testament penalty for that was to put him to death. Uh, one other thing concerning the gift of healing, when healing was performed by one of the apostles at the founding of the church, it was a genuine healing. People lame from birth walked. Lepers lost their disease. Children were raised from the dead. Blind and dumb men were made seeing and speaking. Lazarus was raised from the dead after being four days in the tomb, so much so that he stunk. Peter, Paul, Philip, and the other apostles healed the lame, to the truly lame, the paralyzed. They raised people from the dead. This is not happening today. Finally, um, 1 Corinthians was written in 55 or 56 AD, and the chronicles in the book of Acts of the happenings early on, the foundation of the church, are only places we see these things happening. Paul wrote nine more letters after 1 Corinthians and never mentioned such as things as the gift of tongues again. The pastoral epistles that Paul wrote to Timothy, instructing him in the manner of shepherding a flock, do not mention any of these considerations. In Hebrews chapter 1, we have the first revelatory period in the prophets of the Old Testament, followed by the second, which verse 2 says, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. And by the way, it's informationally for you, for those who are the, the Greek nerds, it actually says in son. It's that closely allied with the son of God, with the, the Lord Jesus Christ. He spoke to us in son. Not only his life, or his words, but his life he spoke to us in. This second period, the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, is further confirmed in chapter 2 of Hebrews, and we are admonished in that chapter to pay close attention. The writer of the Hebrews asked this question, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, and then verse 4, the writer explains that God also bore witness by various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit of the Apostles. Three quotes and, uh, about the, the, the cessation of some of these gifts, and then we're going to move to chapter 12, verse 8. John Chrysostome. This whole place, he says, speaking about 1 Corinthians 12 and the gifts there, is very obscure, but the obscurity is produced by our ignorance of the facts referred to and by their cessation being such as then used to occur, but we now longer take place. That was written by Chrysostome. Augustine, writing in the late 300s and early 400s, said, In the earliest times, the Holy Spirit fell upon them that believed, and they spoke with tongues which they had not learned as the Spirit gave them utterance. That thing was done for a sign, and it passed away. Fast forward to the Reformation. Martin Luther writes, 
This visible outpouring of the Holy Spirit was necessary to the establishment of the early church, as were also the miracles that accompanied the gift of the Holy Ghost. Once the church had been established and properly advertised by these miracles, the visible appearance of the Holy Ghost ceased. And then later on, John Calvin, the gift of healing, like the rest of the miracles which the Lord willed to be brought forth for a time, has vanished away in order to make the preaching of the gospel marvelous forever. And finally, Jonathan Edwards, of the extraordinary gifts they were given in order to the founding and establishing of the church in the world. But since the canon of the scriptures has been completed and the Christian church fully found and established, these extraordinary gifts have ceased. Charles Spurgeon says, those earlier manifestations, uh, earlier miraculous gifts have departed from us. B.B. Warfield writes, these gifts were distinctly the authentication of the apostles. They were part of the credentials of the apostles as the authoritative agents of God in founding the church. Their function thus confirmed them to distinctively the apostolic church, and they necessarily passed away with it. The miraculous working, which is, which is but the sign of God's revealing power, cannot be expected to continue, and in point of fact, does not continue after the revelation of which it is the accompaniment had been completed. So we concluded that section with this statement. Scripture is sufficient. We have the scripture. It is sufficient. And I just remembered I need to get rid of this thing. Otherwise, it makes the sometimes makes things happen. <laughs> the scripture <clears throat> is sufficient. There is no need for signs and wonders. <clears throat> and later, when we get into the uh, chapter 14, we'll discuss more the implications of the passing away of some of these gifts. So, chapter 12, verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit and to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit. According to our historical and biblical research previous to this, we can note that there are sign gifts that God used to confirm and authenticate the apostolic message as the word of God until the time when the scriptures, God's written word, were finished and became self-authenticating. These gifts would have been miracles, healing languages, and the interpretation of languages. There are also permanent gifts that God gives to believers for the entire church age to be used for ministry and building up the church, blessing one another and completing the work of God in the lives of believers. This group of gifts includes the speaking or verbal gifts, prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, teaching, and exhortation, and it also includes the serving gifts, leadership, helps, giving, mercy, faith, and discernment. By the way, wouldn't we like those in positions of leadership to recognize that their gift is a gift of serving? That was for free. In this passage, verses 8 through 10, some of the gifts are mentioned, and the list includes both permanent and temporary. It is a representation of the varieties of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Their function is not explained, but Paul's purpose is to demonstrate that variety that he spoke of. The word, the word of wisdom in the Greek is not preceded by an article. Uh, it is just word of wisdom. For to one is given word of wisdom. This is the first gift mentioned, and in keeping with the law of the first mention, it's good to do that, do what we can to carefully define it here. Most commentators agree that the concept of knowledge is that which can be understood about the world, science and such. Wisdom, however, is the ability to properly apply that understanding in a biblical manner that leads to godly living, that leads to understanding and applying the scriptures in a manner that deals with conflict, removes, uh, disparities, and solves issues. Such wisdom and the difference between it, knowledge 
and knowledge is exemplified in such people as Joseph, Daniel, Moses, and others who were able to take the knowledge they had, subject it to God's finished word at the time, and have an understanding of how to live in a manner that would please God. They were able to teach others how to do so as well, and apply that knowledge in a manner that yielded fruit in obedience, healing of strife, defining proper relationships, and things such as that. It is one thing to know something. It's another to be able to put it into effect, both in your life and in, other, and in helping others to do so as well. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us an example of what he means by the word wisdom. It is something that God imparts. Rulers may not have it. No. All of our rulers have it, don't they? Quit laughing. That is so unkind. It is something that God imparts. Rulers may not have it, knowledgeable men may not have it, but those whom the Holy Spirit deems proper receptacles, He imparts it to them. i got to fast forward to 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 10, speaking of the fact that God imparts wisdom to people. Yet, Paul says, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered into the heart, entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. He revealed them through the Spirit. This wisdom is useful as a gift of the Holy Spirit when those who are adept in it can communicate it to others and can help understand, others understand God's will and apply it obediently. Pastors will generally have this gift. Teaching elders will generally have this gift. Shepherding elders will generally have this gift. The gift of the word of knowledge necessarily comes before wisdom. This is also a broad term and bespeaks a person's ability to understand the truths of God's Word. There are those who have the ability to study the Word of God and extract full meaning from the text and context. They will be the ones who are able to discern the meaning of words and phrases correctly in context and as placed in history. This gift comes to those who are believers and allows them to understand the mysteries of God's revelation which are hidden to the natural mind. It's a good idea for those who have this gift to receive training in biblical languages, history, archaeology, and theology in order to derive the greatest benefit from this gift. It will be evidenced in different believers' lives to different degrees. Some will be consummate interpreters and theologians, while others will be able to help in a local Bible study and in counseling people in need. For every, every word of wisdom and every word of knowledge must be based on existing scripture and not violate any of the tenets contained therein. This is not some new wisdom or some new knowledge, but rather an ability to discern the wisdom and knowledge that God has imparted through His Word. Remember when we were studying Colossians and we were first exposed, at least through that teaching, to the idea of the Gnostics and the idea that there were certain people who had just an extra level of understanding and they were the elite and those are the people. This is not what I'm talking about. These are simply people who have been gifted by the Holy Spirit and in an ability to understand and interpret and exegete the Word of God. And when they do that, if it is not done in humility and understanding that that gift was perfectly given to them by the Holy Spirit, it didn't come out of their own lives, then they're not exercising it properly and they need to be removed. Uh, who knows? I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to 
look into whatever their salvation is or not. The fact is, God's gifts were given to benefit the church, to bless the church. And lording it over people and one-upping people does not benefit the church, does not bless the church. It, it causes cliques and fighting and division. The, the gift to be able to teach people is a, is a serious and terrifying as well as wonderful gift at once. And it needs to be exercised with the humility to understand that, but for the grace of God, I would have none of this, none of this. Um, and that is not to say that someone who has this gift can't learn from others. In fact, that's one of the things that they must most delightedly do is learn from others. Because then they have the benefit of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of others through the Scripture to fill out and, and, and bless others, to fill out their teaching and bless others. Selfishness has no place in the Word of God and in the, in the uh, expositing of it. Any comments or questions about verse 8? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's often caused me not to come to church on Sunday mornings. <laughs> My teaching, I called up Jess. Jess, did you please teach today? And I say that jokingly, but, but really, it, it's, a, it's a serious responsibility. Teachers need to make certain that they're, they're actually expositing correctly. Because people believe what you have to say. I mean, look what's happening in the world today. People blindly, mind, not in this church. There's a bunch of Bereans in here, and I love it. You're not afraid to say, now, wait a minute. And we'll talk about that. That is a wonderful gift that you can give to a teacher. But people blindly follow without checking into anything. And that is not what we're talking about here this morning. Any other comments? Verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. Notice Paul keeps bringing the Trinity back into this, by the same Spirit. Where did he get that faith? Well, he generated himself. No, by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing, by the one Spirit. Reminding the listeners, reminding us today, it is the Spirit of God that gives these. They're not self-generated. Every Christian has faith. Every Christian has faith which was imparted to them by the Holy Spirit as a gift in order to trust Christ and become a believer, to become one of the elect. This is not that faith. This is not what that's talking about. What is described here is a special faith, a giftedness from the Holy Spirit, which allows someone to believe in the face of horrendous opposition. It allows those with this gift to overcome overwhelming obstacles and, and what seem to be stark impossibilities. Paul evidenced this gift when the ship he was sailing in uh, along the borders of the Crete, encountered an unbelievable storm, an un, you know, like a Category 5, something or other, a Category 6. They threw their cargo overboard. They went days without food while the storm would not let up. Paul's faith encouraged the others and, and on the ship and resulted in their safety. I'm going to read this to you. This is, the book of Acts is like just the most wonderful collection of, of short stories. It's just really wonderful to read. It's so this short story. Now, when a moderate south wind came up, moderate, we're not expecting anything. That's what we want. Fill the sails. Let's move. Supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete close inshore. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Uraquilo. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it. And I don't understand all the terms about sailing, but this means... If we tried to actually use this wind, it would have broke the ship apart. So we gave way before it. 
and let ourselves be driven along, running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables and undergirding the ship, and fearing that they might run aground in the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor, and in this way let themselves be driven along. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. So now we're into this another day. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. They're throwing stuff overboard that they need. Because if they don't, if they keep it on board, they're going to sink. And they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, okay, on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. So those with this much faith abandoned being saved. And those with a little more abandoned being saved. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my... <laughs> I told you so. <laughs> there are times when it's even apostolic to say, I told you so. I've never been there, but I, I hear it's cool. <laughs> Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet, now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship... Who's the ship? For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, do you get that? God saved this ship for Paul standing before Caesar. And all of the people were benefited by that. i got to quit interrupting the story. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it, I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. And when the fourteenth night come, two weeks, a storm. Is that a big storm? I'd have lost faith on this third hour, but that's beside the point. When the fourteenth night came, as we were been driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors began to surmise they, that they were approaching some land, and they were indeed saved. There's more in the next short story about other things, but that's the kind of faith that this is talking about, to, to another faith by the same Spirit. George Mueller was a man of faith in miracles. How many have heard of George Mueller? Marvelous, marvelous study. Certainly he was one of the greatest prayer warriors of the past century. His ministry was prospered because he trusted fully in God. And he started a work that was born in his heart. During his ministry of 63 years, he supported missionaries, established the Scriptural Knowledge Institute in England, taught Sunday schools as well as day schools where teachers, were Christ where teachers distributed Bibles and religious tracts and cared for orphans. He was directly involved in the Christian instruction of 121,683 pupils. He distributed 281,652 Bibles. 1,448,662 New Testaments, 21,343 copies of, mission, of the books of Psalms, and 221,196 other portions of the Holy Scriptures. He financially supported ministry oper missionary operations in 26 different countries. He distributed 111,489,067 tracts, books, booklets, and pamphlets. 111 million. And he was directly involved in the conversion of 2,813 orphans. He mastered six languages, French, German, Latin, Hebrew, Greek, and English. One of the stories of feeding um, hungry orphans, many, many of you have probably heard this story, but it bears repeating. The children are dressed, she said, and ready for school, but there is no food for them to eat. 
This is the house mother of the orphanage. She informed George Mueller that morning. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew God would provide food for the children, as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night, I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would be spoiled by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. No. George smiled as the milkman brought in ten large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. This is the kind of faith that this is talking about. And there are those among us who have that kind of faith. And it's a wondrous gift, one that we should be grateful for. Because the sign gifts and the permanent gifts were all in operation at the same time during the tenure of the work of the apostles, they're not separated when Paul lists them. Gifts here is plural, showing again that Paul is speaking of categories of, of giftedness within which there is great variety. The actual phrase used here is gifts of healings. There were, um, there were many kinds of afflictions that needed healing. These gifts were given by Christ, who of course had them, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 8, 16 and 17, it says, When evening came, they brought to him, that is to the Lord Jesus Christ, many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fill that which was spoken through, the Isaiah, through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. They were given to the apostles. In Matthew 10.1, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So the apostles were given the gift of healing. To the 70, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And some other associates of the apostles, such as Philip. <coughs> Acts 5, 8. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. We find in the New Testament that this particular giftedness was used rarely. Um, when Epaphroditus grew ill to the point of death, Paul relied on God's intervention. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, uh, chapter 2, verse 27, for indeed, speaking of Epaphroditus, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him also, but also on me, for, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. When Timothy apparently complained to him about stomach issues, Paul did not exercise the gift of healing, but rather encouraged him to drink a little wine and not just water. Paul left Trophimus sick at Miletus, chapter 2, Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.20. Erastus remained at Corinth, he says, Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. Paul used the gift sparingly in order to confirm the gospel and his apostleship from the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not use it for his own purposes, nor for, just, nor for the purposes of others. It is appropriate for us today to ask for healing. If God in his will has that for us and we pray for it, he can move to heal the most terminal of illnesses. His hand is not constrained. He moves as he wills, but the gift of healings is not in operation today. It was a temporary sign gift, and it is no longer necessary to authenticate the Word of God because the Word of God is, in fact, self-authenticating and is its own verification. Note also prior to this that James encouraged any sick church member to call for the elders of the church so that they might pray over them and anoint them with oil. There was no call for miraculous healings or laying on of hands, but rather trusting the hand of God to do as he would. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. 
We'll get to this in a moment. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is any among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Any comments about verse 9? Ron. <laughs> I think, Jim, you were talking about this one morning. The anointing of oil. Can you remind me? I have... Go ahead. Yeah, would you? Yeah, it would have been a medicinal oil, and of which there are apparently many that I was ignorant of. Um, but, yes, Pat. I would guess that that was probably something like either olive oil or some mixture of oils that were used just at the time for for um, uh, protecting the, sin, the skin from sun. It was just a regular oil. It wouldn't have been a medicinal oil. Excuse me? Probably not. Any other questions? Right, and you need to be you need to be careful of that. Um, there are medicinal qualities involved in the plants of the field that God has given us, but you need somebody who actually knows what they're doing. If if somebody grinds up tansy on your forehead and anoints you with diesel, it's probably not going to help. Yeah, I don't think. Maybe I just stepped on a really good cure for something, but you know, maybe it was a cure for stupidity. Maybe I need that. Uh, okay, so verse 10, I think we'll get through this. For the, to another, the effecting of miracles, to another, prophecy, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. There ain't no way we're going to get through that in six minutes, especially when I'm known for using a paragraph when a sentence would have done. But we'll get, we'll get a little bit of an introduction. I, I made a list of the, the 30, well, actually, I didn't. I found a list of the 37 miracles of Jesus. And here they are, and I'm going to just kind of comment on each one. We'll, we'll talk about the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were incredible. They were incredible. Verse, the first one, Jesus turns water into wine at the wedding in Cana. I, I just want to read the associated scripture because that will comment more better on it than I could anyway. This beginning of his signs did Jesus in, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested glory, and his disciples believed in him. The purpose of the miracle was to authenticate the message. What was the result? Belief. The next one. Uh, Jesus, heals, Jesus heals an official's son. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lived. And what did he do? He himself believed and his whole household. Wouldn't you? What a marvelous thing. Jesus drives out an evil spirit from a man in Capernaum. And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district, and the result was belief. The fourth one, um, 
I'm not going to do them all. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, sick with a fever. Gentlemen, this is a command of how you should treat your mother's-in-law, by the way. Okay, moving on to verse 4, or the fourth one. So, I guess I didn't... <laughs> Pat, <laughs> I didn't even hear that. Number six, the miraculous catch of fish on the lake of Gennesaret. When they had brought in their boats, they left everything and followed him. What was the result of that miraculous catch? They followed him. Uh, number 12, like I said, I didn't do them all. Jesus calms a storm on the sea. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. In these few demonstrations, it is clear that the miracles were performed by Jesus to authenticate himself and his message. In the last chapter of the book of John, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John explains the purpose of miracles. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in, these book, in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. Contrary to some of the myths, and we'll close with this, um, just kind of a historical note, some of the myths that have risen since the first century. Jesus lived a quiet, normal life as a child and a young man and only began exercising his ability to perform miracles at the wedding at Cana, which was the beginning of his work, as the scripture says. And then, um, so the miracles that Jesus performed, by the way, only Jesus performed miracles of nature. The apostles did not. Uh, and that's interesting. I, I haven't developed any kind of a teaching on that. That's just interesting. Um, but the important thing to remember is the miracles had an immediate effect on the people for, who were the beneficiaries of the miracle. But it had the most important effect of generating belief in the gospel. Understanding that God, that the Lord Jesus Christ was who he said he was. And later on that the apostles were who they said they were. They were given the authority over the earth over physics, if you will, and over um, the, the people, over diseases, not so that they could just willy-nilly heal diseases, but so that they could authenticate that the message they were giving was coming from, from God himself. And what they were doing was a work of God in founding the church. Um, the apostles, we'll look at them. I have a list of... One, two, Eighteen, I think that's... If not all of them, it's most of them. But as, as was mentioned earlier, this was a, a miracle and scripture writing rich time of history, unlike any other time. But it, it followed on the heels of the two that preceded us, the time, the, that preceded it, the time of Moses and, and Joshua and the time of Elisha and Elijah. Elijah and Elisha. I always get them in reverse order. I don't know why. And what it was for was to authenticate the beginning of the church of God. It was to authenticate the work of the Son of God, and it was to, to create um, an opportunity for them to record the words, which would then become the self-authenticating scripture. The most important takeaway from any study on miracles, from any study on gifts, from any study on signs, is to remember, we have the scriptures, and they are sufficient. We have the word of God, and it is exciting. We have the finished work of Christ in our lives, and it is exciting. If you need excitement, dig into the Word of God. And I, I would commend to you the, the stories of the book of Acts for 
not not just fun. I don't mean it in a in a in a, a diminution way, in a way of reducing the scriptures. But it's 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 the most incredible short stories section of short stories probably on the planet. I'm I'm comparing it to other parts of scripture, not to Edgar Allan Poe. I'm comparing it to other parts of scripture. But it's a wonderful series of stories that shows the work of God in the lives of the apostles and in the lives of the people at the time to authenticate their message and to begin the work of the church. And guess who gets to carry on the work of the church? We do. Every one of you in here that's a believer is gifted by the, by the Spirit of God. You have tools, you have gifts that God has given you so that you won't be a pew setter, so that you will be busy. Now that doesn't mean you'll be up here on Sunday morning or... What it means is God will direct you into work. And uh, those gifts are important, and you need to know. It, it's, it's not terribly necessary that you know what they are at the beginning, but as you go through your life, you will begin to, it's funny how that works out, you'll begin to, to discover your giftedness through your work and through people, others, other, other, sometimes other people in, in uh, observing you. But next week, we will go through a, a what's it called? I've got a, a spiritual gifts test. And, and we will do this in fun. I'll preface it with that because there, I couldn't find one in Scripture. So I, I found a really good made-up one. And we'll go through that, and it'll be fun. It won't be accurate to Scripture, but it'll be fun, and I will make that point right at the beginning. It'll show you, though, sometimes the silliness that can accompany people trying to find out what their gifts are. Do you know what God really wants you to be doing? He wants you to be busy about the work of God. And your giftedness will shine through that and make your work a blessing to the church, a manifestation of the Spirit to the world, and a glory to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that, that you have given gifts to your church, the foremost of which was the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And in those gifts, you have provided for us everything we need for life and godliness in Christ. Help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, carefully, observantly, scripturally, as we, we love you and we love, and we love the body of Christ around us. Help us to evangelize the lost and to do it with the grace and the humility that comes from being a child of the Son of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.